can stay up here and enjoy the Word of God. Do you have a Bible this morning? Do you plan to use the Bible? Good. There's a couple of sections of Scripture we're going to be staying in uh, this morning and and uh, drawing some great truth from it. And I, my prayer is this morning that what we read in the Word and what you receive from God would set you free and you would know that you're part of a greater body, that you'd know that you have people around you that are supporting you, that are standing up for you, that are fighting for you, that you know that you're not alone in this battle and you'd know that there is power in agreement. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to the book of James? Well, good. In the book of James, we, uh, we find out that uh, if you're praying according to the will of God, it says this in 1 John, but it, it reiterates in James that if you pray and you're asking the Lord for something that he's promised and you have no doubt about it, that if he promised that you have it, that God gives freely and without any, without any condemnation, without any regret for, for asking. He doesn't make you feel stupid for asking for wisdom. In fact, the wise person asks for wisdom. But there are other things that he tells you uh, that if God's promised it, it's ours, for, it's ours to ask for. And it says here in James chapter 5, actually James chapter 4. No, James chapter 5. You, we're going to go with James 5. All right. James 5 says in this in verse 13, if is anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. So there's a solution to that, right? Is anyone suffering? Here's your solution. Pray. He says, is anyone, is anyone cheerful? If you're cheerful, he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Now he doesn't say, he doesn't make any qualification to that. He just says, is anyone sick? Then he says, then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. Now let's stop here for a moment and talk a little bit about this. This circumstance that he's talking about seems to go a little bit further than most people's uh, minor illnesses. This is somebody who had to call for the elders to come to him. So it sounds like somebody who's pretty sick, right? This is not just you came to church with a headache. This is somebody that could not get out of their house. And it says, if that's how sick you are, call for the elders of the church and they'll come to you. They'll lay their hands on you. They'll anoint you with oil. And the prayer that is offered in faith will raise the one who's sick up. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people read this as, you know, this is what we do in every circumstance. But, of course, we see many, many, many uh, examples of healing in the New Testament, right? This is the only one post-Gospels, in the, in, in, you know, from the book of Acts onward, this is the only time you see somebody anointed with oil to be healed. Even when Jesus walked the earth, you don't see this often. So this doesn't mean every time you pray for a sick person, you have to anoint them with oil. Or else you would have seen the apostles do it continually. You would have seen Jesus do it continually. There's a time and a place for this. The other thing that's interesting about this is that, is that James brings in another bit of uh, information. He doesn't just say about the man being healed, but he says if the man has committed any sins, it'll be forgiven of him. What does that have to do with anything? 
And when we're reading it, we say, well, isn't this guy's problem? He's sick and he can't get well. Why are we talking about sin here? Why are we talking about forgiveness here? If this man is sick, shouldn't it just be the man is sick? He called for the elders. They, he was well. That was the end of the story. And there are a couple of things you can draw from that. Uh, but of course, this is a guy who's been sick for quite a while. This is a guy who's, who is presumably a believer, right? I mean, you don't have, he's not talking to unbelievers. He says, is anyone among you, right? So he's talking to the church and he says, if anyone among you is sick, then you need to call for the elders of the church. But he's not just talking about this somebody that's just, just got sick. Sounds like somebody that's been sick for a while and it's been stuck. You know, as a believer, there are times when you know and you stand on the word of God and you know what the word of God says and, and you're sick or you're, you're fighting something and you fight through it and, you know, thank God you get the victory. There's other times where it seems to take longer than it should take. There are other times where you seem to not be budging anything. Now, when I was a kid, there were a couple of times something went wrong with the car and uh, the first thing I ever knew about was you run out of gas, the car stops working. Now, when you're a little kid, you kind of, your logic works this way. One time we ran out of gas and the car stopped running. Therefore, every time somebody's car is not working, they're out of gas. So I just thought I knew the answer to everybody's problem. Somebody's on the side of the road, they got their hood up. Why don't they go get gas? I mean, don't they know? That's why the car stops working. They don't have gas. Well, you and I know there are a bunch of reasons that the car might not be working. Just because if you run out of gas, you're... Now, every time you run out of gas, the car doesn't work. We know that. But it doesn't mean every time the car's not working, you're out of gas, right? So, when we read this verse, I'm going to tell you straight up. There are times in your life where you're not seeming to get anywhere with your prayer life. You're not seeming to get anywhere. and You know the promises of God. You know the word of God. But you're not making any progress. And sometimes, and I'm going to emphasize that, sometimes the issue goes a little bit deeper than you just knowing the right scripture. Sometimes the issue is there are unaddressed things that you need to address. Sometimes there's some unforgiveness lurking around that you refuse to let go of. And as Jesus said, as Peter said, it is hindering your prayers. There are other things that hinder your prayer. We know that. It doesn't mean that every time somebody's sick for a long time, they're in sin, right? Just like it doesn't mean that every time a car is broke down, they're out of gas. But I will tell you, if there is stuff that you refuse to address, those spiritual issues become physical issues doesn't mean if you're sick, you did something wrong. The disciples asked Jesus when a man was born blind, born blind, what this man did. Did he sin or did his parents sin that he'd be born blind? And that sounds like such a stupid question. Because on one hand, how did this guy sin inside the womb? How did he sin as a little fetus that he would be born blind? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Even just, just about as much ridiculous is assuming that his parents sinned and God said, you know what I'm going to do? You sin, but I'm going to torment your kid for it. I'm going to make your kid blind. And so Jesus said, neither. That was the answer. Neither. But this is going to end in the glory of God. So it is, a, it is a dumb question for you to ask if you're looking at somebody else's life and you say, gee, they've been, they've been sick for a long time. Don't ever let yourself go there where you go, I wonder what they did wrong. 
That's not your business. And there's a lot of times where they might not have done anything wrong. They're just fighting a battle. But in your own life, if you're fighting a battle and you seem to be making no progress and your prayers seem to be hitting a glass ceiling, maybe it's time to stop for a moment and just think and let the Lord speak to you and say, is there something I just refuse to address here? Is there something I'm refusing to address? This is a guy who had people come to his house pray for him. Now, I know this is not just a specific person. This is a hypothetical. But he's talking about somebody who had to have the elders come to his house and not just God forgive him, but they had to forgive him. So I'm just assuming, and understand I'm stepping out on a little bit of a branch here, but I'm assuming that whatever the issues he had wasn't just between him and God, but him and the church. Because I've seen this before. When you let strife in, when you let bitterness and jealousy and unforgiveness in and you refuse to let that go and you let it cause division between you and the body of Christ, there are issues that just don't work themselves out until you address it. And thank God that we live in the age of God's grace. We live on this side of the cross in the new covenant where you don't have to pay the price for your sins, where Jesus has already paid the price for your sins. You just have to choose to receive that gift and you have to choose to turn from them. You don't just stay in them, you leave them at the cross. If I were to continue, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness. It says, take care, brethren, that a root of bitterness does not spring up in any of you, and by it many are defiled. And I think about a root. A root's not a temporary thing. A root's something that goes down and, and is, it, it takes its grip in the deepest part of you. Bitterness can do that. It can grip in you. It can affect your life. And you may think that you have it isolated, but it does not stay isolated. In fact, we, we often think that, right? This is just an area of my life. I'm, I, I've just, I got everything else down, but this area of my life, that's, that's an area that I, I, just, I just don't want to address right now. I'm just going to leave it on the shelf. But if you've let bitterness in one small area of your life, it tends to spread. And in fact, I've seen people so racked with bitterness or guilt or envy or those things, that's affected their physical bodies. Peter says this, he's talking about a husband and wife, and he's telling the husband how to treat his wife. He said, she may seem weaker than you, but you have to realize, and I'm paraphrasing this, he says, but you have to realize that she is your partner, she is the co-heir, she is your partner in the grace of life. He says, you have to treat her in that way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That means if you, if you continue to stay in strife with your spouse, your prayers are hindered. Have you, has anybody experienced this before? I've experienced this. I just didn't want to admit I was wrong. But the truth is, until you're willing to come, if God made you one, 
and he made you made the two into one you are co-heirs you are partners you are you are together in the grace of life sharers in the grace of life and if you can't get together something is broken if we're not in agreement something's messed up the bible says where there's strife and division there's every evil work and so if we let that in why are we surprised when our prayer life has changed so what do we do do we just say, well, I've got to pay the penance for my mistakes? No, Jesus paid the price. What you've got to do is say, all right, let's make this right. And if you've done something to somebody, if, you've, if you're in strife with somebody, if you've been bitter with somebody, if you've been letting something come between you and it's affecting you, it's time to say, will you forgive me? Here he says, if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. Now listen to the next verse. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Wow. He says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now look, he's talking about a man like Elijah. He says, well, Elijah was a man. He was just a guy. He had a nature like ours. He was not a superman. He wasn't a superhero. He was just a man. But you know what? He trusted God. And when he prayed and he said, God, he prayed earnestly. He didn't just say a quick two-minute prayer. But he prayed earnestly that the, the sky would shut up and would not rain. It did not rain for three and a half years. And what this book is telling you is there's no difference between him and you except for the fact that you are in the new covenant and you have the Holy Spirit in you. So if anything, you've got the leg up on, on Elijah. Yes. Now here it says, in verse 16, it says we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Now I, I certainly uh, would never want you to get into an area of life where you become sin conscious, where all you're ever thinking about is your sin and your mistakes, and that's all you ever talk about. I believe that your number one reality should be who you are in Christ. I believe that you should know you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Yeah. That's who you are. A lot of people like to go around and, and confess that they are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Thank God for the grace of God. But the truth is... You have to get over that and you have to realize that Jesus has made you righteous. You go from sinner to saint. You may still sin, but you are not in his eyes to keep calling yourself a sinner because if you think you're a sinner, that's what you'll keep doing. When you know who you are, I'm a saint because he made me clean and righteous, then that's how you act. But now, why does it say that we're to confess our sins to one another? I don't believe this is every sin. I believe there's some things that are just between you and the Lord, right? Now, certainly in, a, in an area, if I've sinned against chance, I can't just say, well, I'll just, I'll just tell God about it. Because if I tell chance, then he's got something on me. 
I always want to leg up on Chance, and he'll have something on me. So I'll just, it's just between me and Jesus. Jesus, I got to tell you a secret. I, I, I just, I, you know, I did this to Chance. He knows about it, but I don't want to admit that we, I know that he knows. So I'm just going to confess this to you. Well, there's still a division between us. At some point, I got to come to Chance, and I got to make it right. But then there's another little situation that this may apply to. Let me tell you one more. Have you ever been in a, a cycle of habitual just stuff that you just keep falling into that you want to be free from and you can't seem to get free and you're afraid and ashamed to tell anybody about it? Well, no wonder nobody says yes because, you know. <laughs> then you wouldn't be afraid and ashamed to tell anybody about it. It's a real catch-22 here we've worked ourselves into. There are times in life where somebody thinks that they have to fight the battle alone because Christians just don't do these kind of things. My church wouldn't see me the same way. My pastor wouldn't think of me the same way. There are people that keep getting stuck in a cycle because they're afraid to let somebody in to help them, to intercede with them. Some people are even ashamed of the sickness they're fighting. You know, uh, you've heard this quoted before, but I believe it was Brother Hagen that said that there will be people that go to their grave confessing by stripes I'm healed unless somebody intercedes for them. And here, imagine somebody is stuck in a pattern. They know who they are in Jesus. They know the scriptures. They know they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But they're caught in a pattern of privately holding it in, afraid to admit it to anybody, but it keeps going back. Whether it's a man that's addicted to stuff he shouldn't be looking at on the internet, whether it's, it's a woman that's addicted to pain medication and it's gone past just pain management and now it's become an addiction and you're just afraid if you bring it up to anybody, they won't think of me the same way. They'll never let me pray with them. They won't, I'll, I'll go down a rung in their ladder. Are we people of grace or are we not? We are. So if we are, we should be mature enough to be able to say, if somebody brings something to me, now you don't just bring it to anybody, but if there's somebody that you really can trust that's mature in the spirit, if there's somebody in your life that's like that, we should be able to say, if somebody were to bring that to me, I can be mature enough in the spirit that I can say, I'm not going to look at them differently from now on. I'm going to join my faith with theirs and say, let's pray together that you would be healed. Yeah. Because there are things, guys, that you continue to struggle with, and you say, why do I keep struggling with? And sometimes what you need to do is bring somebody else in on it. Say, will you fight with me? Will you pray with me? And not be ashamed to do it. This is a safe place. This is a place where we need each other. The body of Christ is for a reason, the body of Christ. There are times where you just have to say, I need to tell you something. I don't want you to think any less of me, but I need to tell you something, and I need you to pray with me, and you need to have a brother or sister that's strong enough in the Lord that they can say, yeah, I'm going to pray with you. And they won't treat you different. They won't treat you like you're less of a Christian because we all know that there are all, in every one of our lives, there are things we have to conquer and get victory over, right? And there are times where you need somebody else to join with you. Don't be so arrogant. Don't be so proud that you're stuck. You're stuck in bed sick because you won't admit to something. Because you won't just admit that there might be something you need to deal with. 
Don't be so arrogant that you're fighting, falling into a pattern of reckless behavior and sin because you're afraid to let somebody pray with you and help you out. Or maybe somebody that'll phone you and say, how are you doing? Oh, the the enemy would love for us to keep our issues in these private little closets so that we fight alone, but there's a time to bring somebody in. Now, come on, I know this. I know that you and Jesus are a majority. I know that his grace is more than enough for you. And I certainly don't want you to become those kind of people that just go around telling everybody what, everything you've done wrong. <laughs> By the way, here's what I did wrong this week. I just need to tell you because, you know, that's what he said. I'm talking about there's, there's just things that you need to deal with and you can't fight it alone. So what do we do? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. That's the answer. Did you know that every time somebody comes to you with a problem, they don't always need a counseling session. Sometimes they need some advice. Sometimes they need a scripture. But you know what they need more than anything? They need somebody to pray with them pray for one another. And it's not just one, let's join hands and pray. It might be that you go home and you pray for them too. It might be that you remember them day to day as the spirit brings it to your mind and to your, to your heart that you say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hold you up in prayer and we're going to see the victory of this together. And if we, if you and I can't get this done, we're bringing somebody else in. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that what? You may be healed. See, this is God's will for you, spirit, soul, and body, that you would walk whole, that you would walk renewed, that you would walk free from the curse. Thank God we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Don't let guilt and condemnation keep you from all that God's already given you. Thank God the effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know what's interesting about this? Every time I used to quote this verse, the effect of prayer of a righteous man cannot accomplish much, I was quoting it like the Lone Ranger. Because it says righteous man, that's me, I don't need any of you. Effect of prayer of a righteous man, me, I don't need you. But in the context, let's look at the context of the verses. You've got a group of elders going to somebody's house, praying. You've got somebody telling somebody else here are the issues I'm working through pray with me and they're healed the effective prayer of a righteous man seems to be in this context an intercessory prayer that you're praying for somebody else see every time I read this verse I thought this is just me praying for me and guys there are plenty of things in life that you will conquer just by standing on the word by yourself if nobody helps you you and Jesus can get this done but there's other times where you need somebody else and the effective prayer of a righteous man here is also speaking of some intercession. Somebody standing in the gap for somebody else. You know, we need that. And we don't need to be so proud that we can't ask for that because we are the body of Christ. And there's enough grace for all of us and we don't have to say I'm condemned, I'm, I'm under guilt because I had, to say, I had to admit that this was an issue with me. I, didn't, I, 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 I don't want to have to admit that I was wrong in an argument. Let's get over that and recognize that the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sins. Let's just get over that and begin to move in the freedom that God offers so wonderfully.
Let's, let's read something. I want you to turn to the Gospels if you could. I just am so thankful to be part of a body, of a group. I'm going to tell you a little bit of history for me. When I was um, young, people were just, some of the people I was around at least, were really getting a hold of the, of the message that the word of God was true, that Jesus hadn't changed, that his word was still true. He still did miracles. He still, uh, you know, he still moved in his church. He still spoke to people. And the message was overwhelmingly the word of God. Get in the word, study the word of God, and you'll find the promises of God. And you stand on the word, and no matter what anybody says, you keep standing, and you're going to have victory. Thank God. What happened was that you'd have evangelists preaching this message, and they'd want to plug people into local churches, so here's what they'd say, and this is good. What they'd say was, you need to get into a church where you can be fed that, that preaches the word. Now, I agree with that. Unfortunately, some people that heard that heard it as if the only reason I go to church is to get fed, is to hear a message. So you know what started to happen? People started to say, well, a preacher in my local town's not that good. I preaches all the right stuff, but he's really boring. I can get fed at home. I can watch Christian television on Sunday morning, and I don't have to go to church, and I still get fed. I can listen to tapes, because that was the thing, tapes, right? I can listen to tapes until they wear out. And then when the internet came along, people said, I'm a member of an internet church. And every Sunday, I watch the live stream and I worship with them. Well, you know, I understand. There's people in remote places, thank God. There's people that are bedridden. My, my mother-in-law, uh, for, for some time, uh, fought uh, such chemical sensitivity that she couldn't leave her home. Barely ever. That even, even the smell of somebody's shampoo that they used in the morning would cause her to be in such intense pain that she'd want to scream and run. So there was a period of time where she couldn't even attend church. And so she watched uh, church services on her television, and that was what she had. And thank God for that. She belonged to a church that didn't believe that healing was for today. And she was told to stay away from certain preachers on the television. But every time she stumbled upon a certain one, he always seemed to be reading from the Bible. She said, why am I not allowed to watch this guy when all he does is read the Bible? preach the word so she sneakily watched it one Sunday and she found out she could be healed and sure enough she got healed thank God later on they got plugged into a church that believed what the word said and her husband got healed of hepatitis C which as you know is not curable completely healed completely set free cool huh so for somebody like that that's great but you had people that had perfect ability to go to church and they were saying but the point of church is to get fed and I can get fed at home can I tell you that's not the only point of church the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and it says this because we often stop there so we can get people to come to church but it also says and encourage one another even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching 
keep encouraging one another. So one of the things that we get when we come together is not just to hear a good message, but to see each other and get to know each other and connect because we know there's life in the joints. There's life when you're joining with other people. God does something in that. There's encouragement in that. There's a time to worship together. There's something wonderful about the body getting together. And so we had people that were saying, well, I can just be fed at home. But you know that there's more to church than just hearing a good message. Just as important. You know, those people next to you, to the right and to the left, just important to those people that you're going to hug or shake your hands um, after the service, before the service, and talk to and exchange uh, words and, 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 you know, hopefully at some point go out to eat or spend time in each other's homes. There are things that God does in those, in those unions and those partnerships that you never could foresee. And here in Matthew chapter 9, there's a really cool story and it's a little bit interesting because it's almost a story I'm a little bit nervous about reading because I don't want anybody cutting holes in our roof. <laughs> you know, some of you know what we're about to read. Matthew chapter 9 says, Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. Now, in another gospel... In another account of this story, it tells us that Jesus had all these people at his home. That's interesting. We don't hear a lot about Jesus' home, do we? Because most of the time, he's like a fox without a, a place to lay his head. He's like a bird without a nest. Most of the time, he's on the road. But here, he's in his own home. And it says that the place is packed out. And here in Matthew's account, we find out he's just got off the boat. He's in his own city. He's in his home. And it says, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, what we're skipping here, and I'd like to tell you so that you can see this from another angle, because this sounds just nice. They brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. But let's, let's stop for a second and read it. Um, I'm going to read it from the book of Mark, okay? In Mark chapter 2. When he'd come back, hold your place in Matthew. When he'd come back to Capernaum several days after, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, and so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So they're so packed together, there's not even room near the door. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. That's logical. You can't get in the door. Let's climb on the roof and just remove the roof. And when they had dug an opening, so we can assume it's like a sod roof, kind of, they dig into the roof. Can you imagine? You're in a meeting with Jesus. He's preaching the word. Everybody's crammed into the house. And all of a sudden, you feel a little dirt on your head. And you look up, what is this? And you see some sort of blade kind of cutting through. And as you watch, more seems to fall on your head. 
And pretty soon, there's a big hole, and not only is there a hole, there are a bunch of four wackos lowering a paralytic guy on a stretcher down through the roof. They let down the pallet in which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5. It says, And Jesus, seeing their faith. Now, maybe you noticed this and maybe you didn't. But throughout the Gospels, often Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. But here he doesn't say that. It says, Seeing their faith. Their faith. There's no evidence in this scripture that the paralytic did anything right. That he believed or that he was even really aware of what was happening. I don't know if he was just paralyzed and had full control of his mental faculties or I don't know if he was a little bit out of it. But it was his friends that believed Jesus. It was his friends that took him to Jesus. It was his friends that were so, that so loved this guy that they were willing to get in trouble for him. They were willing to look crazy for him. They were willing to look stupid for him and cut a hole in a man that you want to impress, cut a hole in his roof. A man that for all they know could just strike them dead. Now he wouldn't, but for all they know, I don't think this is going to go over well, but we love our friend enough, we're going to do it. And Jesus saw their faith. Didn't say anything about seeing his faith. He saw their faith. And because of their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, and they thought they were safe because they were reasoning in their hearts. But of course, this is Jesus. So he says... And they were, this is what they're reasoning. Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But it's so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up, and immediately he picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now let's analyze this miracle. You know what? You, you can let go of your place in Matthew. I think we covered it. But let's analyze this for a minute. Here's what happens to the man. He's let through the roof. I don't know if he knows what's going on. I don't know if he's saying to his friends, take me back, take me back, let me go. I don't know if he's on board or not. The scripture doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that Jesus acknowledged these men's faith. I assume they're men. Acknowledges the friend's faith he not only forgives the man's sins, but he heals them. He heals them completely. The guy gets up, carries his bed, and is glorifying God on the way home. What a wonderful miracle. And it wouldn't have happened if not for four friends that were willing to make a fool of themselves for this man. That would love this guy enough that their faith stood in place of his. And I know there are going to be times in life where you're going to need to be like those friends. And I know there are times in life where you're going to need to have friends like that. And you can be Rambo, 
spiritual Rambo and just think you get this done on your own. And I know I don't in any way want to minimize how powerful one person that believes the word of God can be. But there are times when you're going to need someone else. This man did not have the capability to come to Jesus. So somebody had to make up the difference. Somebody had to believe. Somebody had to, you know, even step out in such a way that they wouldn't look cool anymore. They'd look weird. They'd look uncomfortable. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like the love of God was driving you to do something that was going to make you look stupid, going to make you look crazy to other people, and you just wonder, is this person worth it? Do they even appreciate what I'm doing? You see, that's one of, the, one of the big lies that the enemy brings to our hearts and minds. Do they appreciate what I'm doing? Can I just say, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. And whether or not they ever thank you for it, you did it for him. So if they never say thank you, if they don't, say appreci- if they don't seem appreciative, just do it anyways. Do it for the Lord and let him reward you. Because Jesus said, if you're looking for the applause of people, you already have your reward. But he says, if you're looking for, for, for his approval, for heaven's approval, then you have a reward in heaven. So sometimes we say, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really stepping out on a limb here, and I don't even think they appreciate it. And maybe this paralytic guy didn't seem like he appreciated it at first either. I don't know. But what I do know is I'm sure he was pretty appreciative after that somebody carried him to Jesus. And then somebody went out on the limb and broke some laws in more than one way, right? They broke some laws. They, they broke cultural laws. They may have broke some religious laws here. They did some things that were not really culturally acceptable because they loved the guy. And their faith made up the difference where his faith and his ability couldn't take him. Is there anybody in your life that you'd say would qualify as one of those four crazy friends that'll do stuff for you, that that will take you to Jesus, that would cut a hole in the roof for you, that would stand in the gap for you when you don't even feel like standing in the gap for yourself? Do Do you have those kind of friends? And are you the kind of friend that would do that? I want you to think for a moment. Just take a moment to think about the kind of people that, that you have in your life and the kind of people you would do that for. Think about you. What would make you uncomfortable? What would make you feel awkward? What would make you feel like, I can't do this, and then just get over it, just get past it, because sometimes we have to be crazy and just step out of the boat onto the water and believe God. I don't want anybody cutting holes in the roof. There are plenty of doors here. You don't need to do that. But what if it meant being loud in a mall? What if it meant, you know, what if it meant making yourself vulnerable in some way to somebody else? And that's really the issue, isn't it? We don't want to be vulnerable to people. But we are people of God. We're people of grace. We're people of truth. And we do believe that if you came to me 
and there was weakness that you said, this is a, an issue in my life. I'm struggling with it. I'm having an issue, but I need somebody to stand with me. Then we are mature enough to say, I love you. I'll pray with you. And I don't think any less of you. God is good. Now, we know that the Bible says that if any of us need help, that Jesus has made a way into the throne of God, the throne room of God, the throne room of grace, where we can run in and, and come boldly before him and find mercy and help, grace to help in a time of need. We know that with God, right? You know, I... I <laughs> I've been through periods of my life, and I'll admit to you, I've been through periods of my life where even in my prayer life, I tried to polish up the situation. You know what I mean? I used euphemisms. I kind of I made the wording sound a bit better so that, so that whatever I was into, whatever I had done, it wasn't as much my fault when I worded it to the Lord, as if he didn't see the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Like as if this is news to him. I'm writing the report. He's getting it for the first time. Sounds like you were not really in the wrong, Jonathan. If so, very minor. Very minor. <laughs> he saw it. He knew what was in my heart when I did it. Not a surprise to him. I found the most freeing thing in my life is to be completely open with God. The most freeing thing in my life is to get on the same side of the issue with him. Did you know that the word confess means to say the same thing as? And so when I confess sins to the Lord, it's not me going, God, I did this again and I did it again. It's me saying, I acknowledge this was wrong. And I have, I have repented and moved on. And I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. It's, you've forgiven me. You've washed me clean. And you know what? I acknowledge that's wrong and that's evil and it's not a part of me anymore. Because I don't want to just go through life trying to justify the things I did in front of God who justifies me. He paid the price to justify me. He didn't, I don't have to justify that sin because I'm justified. So I can say that was wrong. That was stupid. That was evil. And thank God I'm forgiven. And I don't have to polish it up to God. I can just be honest with him. I can just be free with him. And I can, if I'm into something, if I've done something wrong, if I've wronged somebody, if I've, if I've been offended when I shouldn't have been offended, if I've been offensive, then I can say to the Lord, Lord, I was wrong, but you're right. And because of you, I'm forgiven, I'm clean. I'm turning from it now. I, I'm not doing that anymore. Lord, thank you that you're helping me. I know you're helping me to turn away from that, to put it as far as the east is from the west, and I'm not going to go back into that anymore. And if I can be honest with God, then there's times in my life where I can be honest with somebody else. Because if God can forgive me, so can somebody else. Like I said, don't, don't go through life telling everybody everything you've ever done. And there's just some people that aren't mature enough to handle your stuff. You know that, right? You don't go to the new believer in the door, let me tell you some dark and heavy things. <laughs> They're going to go out with eyes wide, like, oh my goodness. But there are spiritually mature people in your life that will love you and will pray with you and will help you. Don't be tricked into fighting alone. We talked about this a few months ago. I know we took it in a bit of a direct, different direction today, but I just wanted you to see in the Gospels. 
I wanted you to see in the book of James that there are times when that prayer that you need is somebody else's prayer. Don't be too proud to ask for it. Don't be too proud to ask for people to carry you if you need it. My mom, when she broke her back, she had people carry her to church. She got a, a day pass from the hospital and they carried her from church to church and they put her in a cot on the side and it wasn't in this building, it was in the old uh, Legion Hall. And they put her in a cot, in, like on the side in the aisle, and she laid in that cot and listened to the word of God and worshiped God and was in the presence of God. We got to get over ourselves and say, but I would look stupid. I, I, I wouldn't have a thing to wear laying down. Get over yourself and let's just be okay. Because let's, let's just say right now, there's nothing that's going to keep me there's not gonna, nothing that's going to stand between me and what God's freely offering me. Not anything I'm afraid to admit. Not anybody I'm afraid to trust. Not anything I'm afraid to do. I'm just going to get over my fear and I'm going to get over my self-consciousness and I'm going to get over the sin consciousness and I'm going to get over the guilt and I'm just going to be free to, to, to trust people and to trust God. Seeing their faith the man was healed and the man was forgiven because of the faith of his friends. Sometimes you got to depend on the faith of your friends. And you know what? I'm speaking to a lot of mature believers here. So to you, I say, sometimes you got to be the friend that's going to stand in faith for somebody else. Amen. Can we do that for each other? Can we do that for one another? Can we be honest and open with God? Can we be open with each other in such a way? Now, I don't mean to dump all your stuff on people all the time, but I do mean if you're struggling, if you're fighting something, you know what? Come out of the hiding, come out of the shadows, and let somebody fight with you. Let somebody carry some of that weight. Let God carry the weight. Amen? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what people think of you. Don't be afraid that they'll think less of you. I'm sure the paralytic man was a little worried how he was going to look when he's lowered down. I'm sure the friends worried how they were going to look cutting a hole in a godly man's roof. But let's get over the fear of man and embrace the fear of God and say, I can trust people. I, I'm not worried about what I look like. I just want to please the Lord. Let's stand up together. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Let's hear that again. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Wow. I want to be part of a church that prays for one another. That doesn't just go to one person that prays for everybody. I want to be part of a church that will pray for each other, hold each other up, and fight for one another that will embarrass themselves for one another, that will be honest with one another. Thank you, Lord. Father, your grace has set us free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from condemnation and guilt. But Lord, I know that there are times when there are issues that must be addressed so that our prayers won't be hindered. There are things we have to come to terms with and grips with, and sometimes those things are with one another. 
May we not be too proud to say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I've not had a pure heart to you. I've not kept my attitude right towards you. I've treated you wrong. May we not be too proud to say, I forgive you, brother, and I hold nothing against you. May we not be too proud to say, I need somebody to stand with me because I've been fighting for so long and I can't seem to get victory, but I know that the prayer of a righteous man has much effect and I know when two agree, touching anything in his name, they have what they've asked. May we not be too proud to say, I'm willing to make myself look stupid for you. I'm willing to make myself look odd. I'm willing to be uncomfortable if it means interceding for you, if it means bringing you to Jesus. May we not be too proud to openly come before you and open ourselves up to you and say, we know that we're seen and we're loved. We know that we're known, fully known, and still loved. May we embrace the love of God in Jesus' name.